For our Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday Holy Week services, we will be following the service of prayer and preaching found in LSB, page 260. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repents of evil. Jesus said, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. <clears throat> the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The Old Testament reading for Monday in Holy Week is from Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together.
who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalm is Psalm 36, verses 5 through 10. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The epistle is from First Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the twelfth chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, 
they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before him or before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. 
Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. We continue with the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. You shall have no other gods. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Last year, during the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of Holy Week, we heard from C.F.W. Walther, the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, a sermon that he preached on Good Friday. This year, we're going to hear from him on a Holy Thursday sermon that he preached in 1868. Again, as last year, it will be in three different parts. Lord Jesus, true God and man in one person. You have withdrawn your visible presence from your congregation because you do not wish to be seen but believed on. Yet you are not separated from her. You did not leave us orphans. Although you are invisible, you are even today really and truly with us with all your grace. And that we may find comfort for ourselves in your presence, you have instituted a supper on the night that you were betrayed, in which you give us to eat of your body and give us to drink of your blood. O oh, help us that we do not let ourselves be robbed of this comfort, but hold firmly to it until we finally see you with our eyes, hear you with our ears, touch you with our hands, and thus enjoy perfect communion in eternal blessed joy. Amen. Dear Christ, in Christ Jesus, dear Christian friends, the Holy Supper, 
whose institution we celebrate is according to its origin as well as its purpose, a feast of love. First of all, out of inexpressible love to his own, Christ himself instituted it. When John reports the Last Supper that Christ ate with his disciples, he begins this report with the words, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He wants to say not even the nearness of his painful death had caused Christ to forget his disciples, nor did his love for them weaken. Rather, he felt this way. At his very departure from the world, he wanted to institute and leave behind for his own the greatest memorial of his love. Christ specifically said this when for the last time he sat down at the table with his disciples to keep the last meal. He said, As Luke reports, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Though the Savior had been filled with anxiety before his baptism of blood, yet with such ardent longing he had also awaited his last night of suffering. In this night he would repeal the old covenant meal and would institute a new one. The Holy Supper is a feast of love, not only because Christ himself instituted it out of burning love for his own, but as was said, because of its purpose, to be the source and bond of the most intimate brotherly love among Christians. Thus the Apostle Paul writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He also adds, we were all made to drink of one spirit. That means to say, because we Christians partake of the consecrated bread that makes us partakers of Christ's body, and the consecrated cup that makes us partakers of Christ's blood, we all become one body and one spirit, almost one person, one individual. All communicants do not divide Christ's body and blood, not even one part of Christ's body and blood. All partake of the one and the same complete body of Christ and the one and same complete blood of Christ. They thus become intimately united with one another as their body with their soul. Is not, then, the Holy Supper really a feast of love? Beyond a doubt. As little as it is possible for a person not to love himself, so little is it possible for a communicant who heartily believes in the mystery of the Holy Supper not to love his fellow communicants. For he knows that the same body and blood is in them which is in him. We read that because the first Christians continued in the breaking of the bread. They actually were of one heart and of one soul. Yet has not this very Holy Supper since the time of the Reformation been the subject of strife, war, estrangement, separation, and division instead of being a feast of love, which should most intimately of all unite Christians? Has not the church that left the papacy split over this Holy Supper into two warring parties? And is not this especially our evangelical Lutheran church that wants to make no peace? It is also not... Is it not also true that our church would rather remain with her teaching of the Holy Supper and sacrifice the peace of the church than this doctrine? Should she not surrender this point so that in brotherly harmony she can celebrate that feast of love with all who call themselves Christians? Would it not be in conformity with Christian love if we Lutherans would let everyone believe and teach about the Holy Supper? Would he consider it right and appear with him at the Lord's table in peace? Should we not at least at the altar lay our weapons down? Should not all hostilities cease at least at the Feast of Reconciliation? Or is the true doctrine of the Holy Supper actually so important that we cannot yield, that we must hold fast to it in an infallible faithfulness, no matter what the results might be? 
Yes, my friends, we dare not, we cannot yield. As dear as we hold God's word, Christ's majesty and honor, our salvation and the salvation of all men. This is the point I propose to lay on your hearts on this day. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. With this express assurance, the Apostle Paul begins his report on the institution of the Holy Supper. This is worthy of note. We see that the Apostle viewed the true doctrine of the Lord's Supper as a matter of special importance. He considered it especially necessary to assure the Corinthians that he had the true doctrine not by hearsay, nor through tradition, especially not from man, but by direct revelation from the exalted Lord himself. How important this historical fact must be. The Son of God, who is sitting at the right hand of majesty on high, revealed all its circumstances directly to his witness on earth in the most exact manner. How important must each word be that concerns that act, each circumstance, though apparently insignificant. Therefore, let me present to you today that we should faithfully hold fast the doctrine of the Holy Supper, this is so important and necessary because it deals with three important things. One, the reliability of the clear word of God. Two, the real presence of Christ with his church. And finally, three, the pledge of the forgiveness of our sins. Our faith and salvation depend on whether God, the word of God, is reliable. If we cannot rely firmly on God's word without fearing that we will fall into error, our faith would be in vain. Our whole Christianity would be like a house built on sand. To obscure and raise doubts concerning God's clear word has always been Satan's trick to deceive men. God had said to Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. What did Satan do in order to ruin Adam and Eve? He tried to awaken doubt as to this clear word of God and said, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And behold, as soon as man let that clear word of God be darkened, he had fallen and lost his salvation. God had said to Christ from heaven, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, what did Satan do after he had ruined man in order to ruin also man's Redeemer? He sought to make that clear word of Christ, Heavenly Father, unclear. Tempting Christ, he said immediately after hearing that voice from heaven, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Christ did not let the clear word of his Father be made unclear. Rather, he repulsed all assaults of the tempter with the word of God and said at each attack, It is written. Now tell me, can there really be a clearer, a more intelligible word of God than the words of the Lord's Supper? Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. Do not these words express so clearly that Christ's body and blood are really present in the Lord's Supper and received in, with, and under the bread and wine? Or tell me, what should Christ have said in order that he might express this mystery? Suppose a person would hand us a cup and say, Take and drink, this is wine. Must we not take it to mean that wine is in the cup? That it is given us with and under it, and that we are to drink it? Would not he who hands it to us have mocked us when it is shown that no wine was in the cup? <laughs> Can we, dare we, believe that the dying Savior wanted to mock his disciples and his whole church when giving bread and wine and instituting his testament, he, according to his own explanation, said, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. Not at all.
Those who don't want to believe this mystery appeal to this. That it is also written that Christ is a rock, a lamb, a door, a vine, and the like. If one dares, yes, if one must take this word of God figuratively, why not also the words, this is my body, this is my blood? This is a futile subterfuge. That Christ is not an ordinary but a spiritual rock, not an ordinary but a spiritual vine, God's word itself tells us. But where does Christ say that with the body and blood of which he speaks, he means only a spiritual figurative body and only a spiritual figurative blood, or only a sign of his body and blood? He says the very opposite. By adding to the word body, which is given for you, and to the word blood that is poured out for you. Hence, not Christ's spiritual figurative body or a sign of it, but his real, true body is given for us, and not his spiritual figurative blood or a sign of it, but his real, true blood is shed for us. There can be no doubt, all who maintain that the bread and wine of the Holy Supper is not, but only means Christ's body and blood, or that they are not truly present, or that not the true but only a figurative body of Christ, and not the true but only figurative blood of Christ is present in the sacrament, and received in the sacrament only spiritually by the believer with the mouth of faith, willfully depart from Christ's clear words. So I ask you, who still consider Christ's word as God's word, dare we, can we, say yea and amen to this? Never. If the words of institution were obscure or ambiguous, then without danger, the one could explain them this way. Another that, as long as their explanation would be according to the analogy of faith. But since the words of institution are so intelligible, so clear, so simple that they could not be more intelligible, clear and simple, so that a child can understand them, no person, no angel, in short, no creature dare explain them otherwise than as they read. If we would concede this, then the reliability of all of God's words would be lost. If we could no longer rely on the clear words of institution, the testament of the dying Son of God and Savior of the world, we could rely on no word of God. If the clear words of institution no longer stand firm, no word of God stands firm. If we could swerve from the clear words of institution because they do not agree with our reason, we can swerve from all words of God which seem foolish. If we can explain the clear words of Christ, this is my body, as this only means my body, then we can also explain the clear words of God, Christ is God's Son, Christ is the Savior of the world, as Christ means God's Son, and Christ means the Savior of the world. And this is also what Satan has in mind by overthrowing the clear words of institution. He doesn't want to overthrow only these, but all of God's words. He wants to make us waver, uncertain, and distrustful. Satan is aiming to make it possible for any Christian to comfort himself in life and death with the word it is written, and thus battle against flesh, world, and Satan. This, and nothing else, was the real reason why Luther held so firmly to the pure doctrine of the Holy Supper. Already in the year 1524 he said, If someone should show by firm argument that plain bread and wine were there, one dare not attack it so furiously. Sad to say, I am much too inclined to accept that as certainly as I detect in Adam, but I am captured and cannot escape. The text is too powerful and will not let itself be torn from my mind with words. Even Melanchthon writes, I find no reason why we should depart from the meaning that Christ is present in the Holy Supper with his body and blood. It can be that a meaning which is more agreeable to human reason, 
especially if it is adorned and embellished with sharply contrived arguments, is more acceptable to an idle mind, but how will that stand in temptation, when the conscience will dispute as to the reason it has for departing from the usual explanation of the church? Then these words, this is my body, will be nothing but thunderbolts. What will a frightened mind then say against it? With what scripture and word of God can it protect and convince itself that Christ's words are to be taken in a figurative way? So far Melanchthon. He also knew that to give the words of institution a new meaning agreeable to reason is simply surrendering all of God's words and letting no word of God stand firm. Therefore, my friends, as especially dear as the comfort of God's word is, with such invaluable faithfulness, hold fast to the pure doctrine of the Holy Supper. This is the end of the first part of the sermon. We sing LSB 434, Lamb of God, Pure and Holy.
In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the gift of divine peace and of pardon with all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the holy Christian church, here and scattered throughout the world, and for the proclamation of the gospel and the calling of all to faith, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this nation, for our cities and communities, and for the common welfare of us all, Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For seasonable weather and for the fruitfulness of the earth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who labor, for those whose work is difficult or dangerous, and for all who travel, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those in need, for the hungry and homeless, for the widowed and orphaned, and for all those in prison, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick and the dying, and for all those who care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Finally, for these and for all our needs of body and soul, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Almighty God, grant that in the midst of our failures and weaknesses, we may be restored through the passion and intercession of your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. In place of the New Testament canticle, we sing LSB 582, God's Word is Our Great Heritage. Word is our great heritage. 
and shall be ours forever to spread its light from age to age shall be our chief endeavor life it guides our way in death it is our stay lord grant while worlds endure we keep its teachings pure throughout all generations. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen.